0: So, all right, all right. Hello out there in the Cotton Belt once again. We are huddled here in the Cotton Grower World Headquarters here in Memphis, Tennessee, uh, to once again bring you an episode of the Cotton Companion Podcast. Uh, Today is Wednesday, December 16th. We know most of you are put away for the season, and if you're like us, you're getting out there and finishing up your Christmas shopping. Actually, appropriately enough, we are... uh, the Cotton Grower World headquarters are share a wall with a dentist's office right next door, the studio that we're in here in our office park uh, out here in Cordova, Tennessee. And anyhow, they, the dentists are playing their Christmas music next door. Hopefully you can't pick it up on the mic, but if you can, it just gives us some ambiance it today. It is absolutely
1: appropriate for today's
0: <laughs> podcast. <laughs> that is Jim Stedman, my own cotton companion. Uh, he's here with us. I was just going to tell you that he has been making me feel bad. He is wrapping up his Christmas shopping uh, as we get closer to the big day on the 25th, and I am just getting started, so uh, I need to get after it. But anyhow, Jim, good to
1: have you here again. Always glad to be here, back.
0: And uh, as Jim well knows, uh, he and I have been very busy here uh, at the cotton grower offices in the past couple of weeks since we last spoke to you i actually just got back from san antonio this past weekend i was there uh, with delta pine they were holding their annual npe summit where they bring in all of their new product evaluator growers i gosh they're going to get on to me if i get it wrong but it was north of 200 growers i believe that they brought in there. And uh, hosted, and they did their big unveiling, their reveal of their new variety intros that they are coming out with for 2016. And uh, anyhow, it was a good time. It was a good, uh, it was a good thing to be there to cover. Um, they are doing some neat things there at Delta Pine and in Monsanto's Pipeline. I'm actually going to uh, bring you guys a- an interview that I conducted while I was out there with a guy named John Chambers. I have his title here in my notes. John is the U.S. technology development and agronomy lead at Monsanto. I actually had dinner with him Friday night and uh, was surprised early Saturday morning to see that he was one of the presenters. And he was talking about these things that Monsanto has on down their pipeline, one of which is very interesting. I think you guys will find it interesting. It involves to make a very complex subject very simple, essentially reversing uh, glyphosate management via some biological. they call it Biodirect. Okay, so I'm butchering it some a BioDirect project that they have going on in their pipeline So anyhow, we'll get into that much deeper later and we'll bring you an interview about that topic um, In addition to this travel that I had this weekend in San Antonio. We have also just wrapped up our January issue Which will be hitting your mailboxes right at the first of the new year That one comes out a little earlier in the month than most others because we want to have it in hand when we go to the Beltwide Cotton Conferences, which we will be doing January 5 through 7 in New Orleans. So that was gonna be a good one. It's a special one as always. We named our 2015 Cotton Grower Cotton Achievement Award winner. It will be someone who a lot of y'all will be very familiar with, but uh, we don't wanna give away any surprises. So uh, you will read and hear more about this individual in the January issue. We also got done with our acreage survey, which um, you may have heard me gripe about before. I know that Jim has, where I have to crunch a bunch of data that we get in from you guys uh, to bring you our annual acreage survey. And it was pretty interesting. We are going to talk uh, a little about that, what those numbers um, told us about your planning intentions in 2016 as we get a little later into the podcast. But for right now, before I tease everything, do more than tease, and start rambling, and before I know it, I present everything, as I'm known to do. For now, we want to formally start where we always start, which is with Jim breaking down the latest news from around the cotton industry. Jim is uh, uniquely positioned to be able to do that as our online editor here at Cotton Grower and cottongrower.com. He is sort of a watchdog on all of the, the relevant news uh, that hits U.S. cotton. So, we're glad that he's here to do that with us. I believe he's going to give us a little uh, year-end perspective for uh, this episode's news roundup. After all, we are hitting that sort of year-end review time of year where all of the media outlets around the country are presenting their yearly retrospectives. So Cotton Grover's is going to do the same. So uh, as you can see, we've got a great show lined up. We thank you for joining us. And if you'll stick around with us through this quick break, we will be right back.
2: Cotton Grower Magazine has the honor of saluting exceptional sacrifice and contribution to the cotton industry through our annual Cotton Grower Cotton Achievement Award. Since 1970, Cotton Grower has handed out this distinguished honor to one individual who demonstrates tireless dedication to the cotton industry through involvement, innovation, and leadership in those issues that have a large impact on U.S. cotton as a whole. Achievement Award winners are chosen after extensive research and thoughtful input from around the industry. Cotton Grower offers sincere gratitude to Case IH and to Delta Pine for sponsoring the Cotton Grower Cotton Achievement Award. In joining the effort to recognize and honor industry leaders, these companies demonstrate their devotion to the cotton industry and their desire to see growers succeed. Well, welcome
1: back, everybody. Uh, as Beck said, as we, as we come to the end of the year, we always want to take a look back quickly to, uh, to see what, what people were interested in, what our readers were interested in, what the hot topics were that, uh, that caused them to come to our website and click through the stories uh, and kind of get a feel for uh, you know, for what, uh, what you're interested in uh, from a, a long-term perspective. So just a real quick recap, and this is going back and looking at, uh, at some of the, the main articles or the ranking of articles uh, from cottongrower.com. Uh, obviously, if any of you have grandkids or know people who have small children, the Cotton Kids section uh, is always a popular item. It is probably the most popular item on our website, short of the homepage, uh, which people just basically have to go through the homepage to get to the Cotton Kids page. Yeah. Uh, but, again, just looking at some of the main topics that uh, that, that caused... Uh, caused people to, to, to basically were of interest this year. Uh, as Beck mentioned, we're, we're getting ready to, to talk about the acreage survey for 2016. Well, that, the acreage survey for 2015 was one of the top-rated articles uh, that we had on the site this year. Also, articles, anything pertaining to Farm Bill and the Stacks program. Uh, and we were pretty heavy into coverage of both of those back in the early part of 2015. Uh, those all rated very highly. Um, you were also interested, obviously, in new weed technologies and new seed varieties. Because anything pertaining to the Bogard II Extendflex, uh product that Monsanto is, is bringing out, uh, anything that pertaining to the Enlist cotton product that Dow will be bringing to the market, and certainly anything pertaining to new varieties, uh, all of those uh, piqued your interest as well. Uh, Obviously we have a lot of articles on the website and we've covered a lot of things during the year Trying to do weekly economic reports trying to look at other trends and other other factors that have popped up in the market but one of the ones that 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 caught me by surprise as I was going through the list that uh, that was highly rated and it may Just be because it was totally unusual was a little article. We called unpicking cotton and it was an article that we've actually picked up from an uh, from a news organization overseas uh, that talked about cotton production or the cotton harvest in Uzbekistan, which, uh, you know, is, is still basically a hand-picked crop at that point. Uh, they close schools. They will close businesses uh, and bring people out to the fields to pick cotton. But uh, the, inst- uh, the interesting part about this story is one of the, uh, one of the government leaders was, uh, was apparently going to be traveling through the area where, uh, where cotton is grown and was going to be coming uh, coming basically through an area where cotton had already been picked. So uh, in order to make a good impression on this government official and to uh, to show them how, how good the cotton harvest looked, uh, the local Uzbekistanis uh, pulled people back into the fields and told them to start gluing cotton back into the, into the burrs of the plant. Uh, Just so it, just so they have this beautiful picture for this government official who comes driving down the road. Man, Um, I I have I have absolutely no idea how many acres (laughs) they had to had to glue back in, or how you're going to get it back out of the burr after, after all that is said and done. But the interesting, the funny part about it is, after they did went to all this work to get everything done, uh, apparently the government official changed his uh, his itinerary and never came through the area at all. So. uh, it was just sort of one of the more unusual cotton articles that you, I think, that I've seen in a while, uh, and you know, I, I think in a, particularly in a year like this where we've had so much up and down, it was it was a little bit of levity that uh, you know th- that all of us needed.
0: Yeah, there was a minute there when I first came on board in '08 or 09 where where we were <clears throat> still doing the international. We used to run a, a magazine out of here called Cotton International. Uh, and, and it, we this was the sort of thing that would be in our wheelhouse. Well, not this sort of human interest news of the weird thing. We wouldn't be publishing that, but we were always hearing uh, some sort of eye ra- eyebrow raising uh, things about Uzbekistan and their cotton market, some less funny than others. Uh, you know, I don't want to go too deep into those here. But, Nor do we need to. Right. But it's uh, an <clears throat> interesting place over there, to be sure. It's, uh, it takes all types to make the world go round, I guess. You Absolutely. Can sum
1: it up. Absolutely. Well, let's let's jump ahead because there there are two articles or two topics uh, of interest that have kind of that will that uh, that impact the cotton market that have happened in the last uh, within the last few weeks. Uh, the first goes to uh, we we center on Washington. Uh, where several weeks about a week ago. Uh, the General Farm Commodities and Risk Management Subcommittee of the House Agriculture Committee. Held a hearing, uh, basically to discuss the crisis, the financial crisis that's starting to unfold in Cotton Country, and the National Cotton Council did an excellent job in pulling together a group of growers and uh, and a banker uh, to uh, to testify to the subcommittee uh, about some of the conditions and, and situations that they're having to deal with, and basically urging lawmakers uh, to uh, to help. With the Secretary of Agriculture to help provide a little bit more relief to the cotton market. Uh, this past week, uh, the uh, the cotton industry received some strong backing from Capitol Hill, uh, as 100 members of the House of Representatives sent a letter to uh, Secretary of Agriculture Tom Vilsack, urging him to use the legal authority that he has under the 2014 Farm Bill to. Um, to basically designate cotton seed as a, quote, other oil seed, uh, which would then open up the, uh, the same risk management tools that are available under the Farm Bill to other oil seed growers like soybean growers, canola growers, and things like that. Uh, it basically opens up another area of protection for growers that they currently don't have under the STACS program uh, or, or other crop insurance programs. Uh, the, that charge was led by uh, House, House Ag Committee Chairman Mike Conaway from Texas. Uh, he was quoted as saying, cotton farmers are getting hit the hardest right now. They're doing all they can to hold on without access to key risk management tools under the farm belt. And we're deeply concerned, he, he continued, that unless the secretary takes action, there will be significant economic consequences. We cannot allow the predatory trading practices of a few, few huge players in the world, in the world cotton market, to destroy cotton production in this country. But as Conaway said, that's exactly what will happen without action. Uh, obviously the National Cotton Council uh, expressed their thanks to the leadership of the, of the committee on this and their appreciation to, uh, to all of the representatives who signed the letter. Uh, NCC Chairman Sledge Taylor, said uh, this designation for cotton seed would allow it to be covered either under the uh, the price loss coverage, the PLC, or the agricultural risk coverage, the ARC programs, uh, for the purpose of farm safety net participation. And it would, that would provide a certain amount of stability to the U.S. cotton market. This whole charge also has the support of, uh, of a number of agricultural lenders. There have been, as we understand it, A number of state, regional, and national letters sent to the Secretary, uh, with more than 375 signatures from individual banks, from the Farm Credit Council, the American Bankers Association, and others, noting that it's imperative that actions be taken to help stabilize uh, the cotton industry. Uh, As this has moved over the last couple of days, uh, this, this action also has the support, or has gained the support, of the American Soybean Association and other organizations that represent crops, represent other oilseed crops. So uh, it's, a, it's a very nice bipartisan action at this point. It does not require congressional approval. This is something the secretary can do with a stroke of a pen based on, uh, on the, the, uh, the abilities and the, that he has under the 2014 Farm Bill. So we're keeping our fingers crossed that we hear some good news on this before the end of the year.
0: Wow. Absolutely. Je- I know you mentioned bipartisan. It's also good mm-hmm. to see the commodity groups, you know, the different, uh, th- yes. you mentioned the soybean association getting on board with this and offering support. It's vocal- vocalizing mm-hmm. its support. I know towards the end of this most recent farm bill cycle where we were trying to build the new the new farm program, that hasn't been the case. No, not
1: yeah. always the case. Every- and, everyone's been looking out for their own interests.
0: Right. And so and so many of y'all, I mean, it, it's self-evident, should go without saying are not strictly cotton, strictly soy, but you know it's the same guys having his own, uh, you know, the same guy as having his own associations uh, being contentious with each other uh, mm-hmm. at some point. So uh, that's the nature of the world we live in. I know that everybody has to fight uh, sometimes for for the scraps that they get, but it's good to see some some harmony among the uh, associations.
1: And it's, I think it's also important to point out that. Agriculture is probably one of them one of the industries that enjoys a greater Coalition between these organizations uh, a lot of the issues that impact agriculture impact multiple crops and you will see them all working together uh, to uh, to work on, on issues that uh, that impact everyone uh, so this is uh, it's always good that uh Always good to see that, that some of these organizations have, uh, have cotton's back right now since, uh, quite honestly, our industry needs it as much as, as possible. Absolutely. The other article or the other big uh, big news story of the last couple weeks, if you, if you folks recall, if you've been listening to the podcast, uh, about two months ago we started talking about a potential merger or acquisition of Syngenta by Monsanto and sort of did a little speculation about what that might look like Uh, And how that might work Uh, and it never came to fruition. It just never worked out Uh, both parties walked away uh, To uh, you know to live and and move on for another day. Well what we found what we've now seen in the past week is an announcement of uh, a merger a merger of equals between Dow Chemical Company and DuPont Company and this is not just the ag divisions these are the entire companies, including all their chemical divisions. Um, This merger, as we understand it, is going to have, uh, it will not impact activity at either of the company's locations or sites. It will, the company will be headquartered still in Midland, Michigan, and also in Wilmington, Delaware, depending on how the business units end up breaking out. The deal calls for Dow and for DuPont to merge into one company by the second half of 2016. And by 2018, the companies then will split into three independent, publicly traded companies focused on one focused on agriculture, one on chemicals and materials, and one on specialty products. Now, I'm looking at an article from the Indianapolis Business Journal on this. the ag and specialty businesses are going to be handled by uh, DuPont CEO Ed Breen, who will uh, become CEO of the combined business that they are now calling Dow DuPont. Really, um,
0: really missed an opportunity
1: to call it Dow Pines. I know, I, As Jim suggested yeah, earlier we, this week. No, but nobody ever listens to our, our right. good ideas, right. obviously. Um, so uh, Breen will handle the ag division and the specialty products. Dow Chemical CEO Andrew uh who is going to be executive chairman of the new company, uh, <coughs> will take care of the chemicals and materials business. So basically, what it appears to be is the DuPont Ag business, which is larger uh, than, than the Dow Agri-Sciences business, uh, which, and, uh, and DuPont, obviously, is, as everyone knows, also includes the Pioneer brand of corn and soybean seed, uh, will kind of take the lead on pulling the agricultural group together. Uh, a lot of analysts have, have kind of weighed in on this in the past week, and, and overall, I think the general feeling is it's a pretty good deal. Uh, the companies are complementary. They're not they have some areas of duplication, but not very many. Uh, obviously, DuPont with the Pioneer unit is very strong in, uh, in genetics, uh, from, from plant tissue and seeds. Uh, Dow's phytogen seed line could fit right in perfectly with that. Uh, Dow, of course, is stronger in the genetically engineered traits like, uh, like wide strike uh, that can be implanted into seeds. And actually, the two companies have worked together over the last couple of years as DuPont has licensed some of Dow's traits. Uh, both companies are, are strong in crop protection. Uh, but as, as, as the Business Journal points out, Dow has been a bit stronger recently at developing new crop protection products. So. Um, it'll be interesting to uh, to watch this as things move ahead into 2016 uh, Basically, it looks like they are putting together the world's leading agriculture company as uh, as as brain uh, Noted so we'll see what the structure looks like I doubt seriously that you will see very much change uh, it during 2016 in terms of business and uh, and working to secure seed and, and other inputs uh, but we'll see what the new structure looks like when it's finally announced.
0: Very good, Jim. Yeah, we'll keep an eye on that. There's so much moving and shaking on the potential sort of merger front with all of these big ag uh, companies. Now this is sort of in the latter part of the year, something that we have suddenly just had to keep an eye on between the monsanto Jenna stuff. Would well, that have been a tougher couple name to figure out than Dow
1: Pine? Yeah, I think there'll be, you know, I don't know how you would have broken that one out.
0: Magenta, I don't know, we'll work on that one. But uh anyhow, this is it, it, there is merger on the horizon among our companies and and we'll watch to see the fallout from that.
1: Yeah, I think there are there's a lot of speculation that this may be the first of several. Yeah. yeah over over the it. next over the next couple of years. So, you know, go ahead and get your uh, you know, get your scorecard ready of all the different players in this and we'll see uh we'll see how everything shakes out.
0: Yeah, I, I don't know about you. I, I don't think that Magenta uh, is dead at this point. I think no, I don't that, think so either. Uh, they, they may have backed away momentarily, but, you know, there's tomorrow's a new day.
1: I've gotten to the point where nothing surprises me in there this you market go. anymore.
0: There you go. I want to go back one second. You mentioned uh, earlier when you were doing sort of your yearly roundup of topics that people really latched onto uh, on the website. The good thing about the website mm-hmm. is we, we can look at those metrics to see what you guys are really interested in, what you're clicking on. The acreage survey was a big winner last year as far as stories that we did that really took off on the website. We are, uh, as I mentioned earlier, doing uh, our presenting our 2016 acreage survey results in the January issue, which is going to be hitting your mailboxes in a little over two weeks now. Um, and I just want to tease that for a second. The, the uh, gripe about the math that I have to do with that project, but it's truly uh, a, a fascinating uh, sort of insight into what you guys have going on on your farms out there. I'm not gonna give you our number, our final number. You'll have to read the January issue to uh, see what we're projecting. I will say last year we were, last year since I've been doing this for eight years now, last year was the most we've been off. We're generally pretty darn close. And last year we, there was no way for us to pre- predict the, you know, some estimate 400,000 acres that didn't get planted in Texas because of all the rain in May. So that was, we were off, but there was a good reason we were off. Um, to be sure, this year, I will say, so I'm not gonna give you our number. I will say that acreage, we project it to rise from where it was this past year. The NCC or rather the USDA says that we planted eight, a little over 8.5 million coast to coast in the US uh, in 2015. We expect that number to rise. A lot of that can be attributed to the basic fact of we don't expect all those guys in west texas to get rained out at planting time this year but y- y- there there is hope there's reason for optimism if you consider higher acreage uh, a positive thing which we do at cotton grower magazine it's a big deal for our yearly outlook um you know there's reason for optimism and, and so many of the responses that we got when we put this survey out we talked to growers we talked to uh extension experts association members so many of the responses we got started with well at the end of the day my yields have been great in cotton and that's you know and that's why i'm having a hard time penciling it out of my plans for 2016. Um, i'll give you a quote one of my favorite features in this the way we present this story each year is we just have a sidebar that says in your own words, you know what what our respondents uh, how they explained their acreage projection. Uh, for instance, we had a guy, let's see, uh, in Arkansas, a respondent said corn and bean prices are not where producers would like. We had a bad experience with grain sorghum, and many producers have stated that if we were planting today, they would have had much more cotton than last year. This this person was talking uh, during the 2015 uh, production season. Let's see in, uh, did I not include the Tennessee? We had a Tennessee response about how good, uh, uh, yields have been, uh, for Mississippi cotton will be more competitive with corn and soybeans. If prices stay similar at the present prices. So people were pointing to yields. People were pointing to the fact that competing crop prices aren't exactly blowing the roof off at the moment either. So we'll see. We think that acreage could be up in 2016. You will have to wait and find our January issue in your mailbox here in a couple of weeks to see what our number was.
1: Yeah, before we move ahead, let me, uh, <clears throat> let me step back and put a plug in for our 2015 annual, which uh, should have hit mailboxes for, for most of our subscribers uh, in the early part of December. And this is the first time we've, we've set back and taken sort of a year in review look at a lot of the different topics or a lot of different areas within the cotton market uh, to try to summarize what the year was like. Uh, we, we took a look at the year in cotton production, in cotton demand, in the ginning industry, uh, the year in, that cotton has had in Washington, uh, both looking at both international and domestic marketing, uh, the year in crop protection, and, uh, and in precision ag as it pertains primarily to cotton. Uh, all of those, of course, are available in the print edition of the uh, of the 2015 annual. Each of these articles is also available on the website at uh, cottongrower.com. Uh, if you follow us on Facebook, uh, you will find these articles uh, at uh, in our Facebook page, which is Cotton Grower Magazine, and uh, and auto- they automatically move over to our Twitter feed, our Twitter page as well, which is at cottongrowermag. So uh, so. Keep an eye out for those. Uh, we had some very interesting, some good people within the industry uh, to provide the information for this, experts in each of these areas. Uh, and we think it turned out to be a, a, a pretty substantial uh, and invaluable piece of information.
0: Absolutely. We're, we're proud of it. Uh, it's a good looking. It's a good looking issue, if I don't say so myself, Jim.
1: Yeah, well, well I'm right there with you.
0: <laughs> okay, so we we want to halt our news segment there. We want to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to have that uh, interview with Monsanto's John Chambers that I was telling you about earlier. Uh, John, again, to reiterate, works at Monsanto there in St. Louis. He uh, he gave a presentation at an event I was at in San Antonio this weekend about some of the things that that are in Monsanto's fi- uh, pipeline, rather. And one of the things he was discussing in the course of this 30-minute talk were some of the things they've got going on in what they call their BioDirect platform. And uh, one of these things is basically, again, to oversimplify what he was telling me, to reverse the re- the effects of glyphosate resistance. Uh, and, you know, as he's doing his 30-minute talk, he, he kind of mentioned this and was moving on to something else. And you just hear this murmur develop in, in the 200 farmers that are sitting behind me. And it gets louder and louder. And, and you could tell that that was something that really created a lot of excitement in the room. So uh, I found him afterwards. Uh, I want you to forgive me. I had to, to uh, sort of pull him to the side in a crowded, a crowded corridor to conduct this interview. So the audio may not be the most pristine you've ever heard. But it's very interesting. Uh, and, and we're excited to bring you that interview. So we discussed that issue. We discussed much more. You can hear all of that interview. Stick with us through this brief break. So, okay, we are here in San Antonio at the Delta Pine NPE Summit. We've got growers from all across the country uh, here with us, and I'm talking today with John Chambers. John, give me your uh, title there at Monsanto again, please.
3: Sure. I'm the U.S. technology development and agronomy lead.
0: Very good. And uh, John just came off the podium, he addressed the crowd this morning, and he was talking a little bit about a bunch of different platforms that Monsanto is sort of investing in and and doing a lot of R&D in, some of the new things they've Moved into and one of those things was bio- biological. Sell it to me again.
3: Yeah, it's the biologicals. Yeah, um, we have two areas that we focus around biologicals. One is an area we call biodirect, and the other is a, a mi- microbials.
0: Very good, and uh, you, as you were describing some of the neat things you guys have going on in the pipeline, you got into some of the things in biologicals and and I'm listening to the 200 farmers behind me and these murmurs start going through the crowd, you could tell what they were really interested in. Uh, One of those things was this uh, research you guys are doing on a biological approach to glyphosate resistance and overcoming that. Can you tell me a little bit
3: more about that? Yeah, sure, I'd be happy to, so um, when we think of glyphosate resistant, especially especially with cotton growers, that one of their biggest concerns is Palmer pigweed, right? And Palmer pigweed has developed resistance by the overproduction of a specific enzyme. And this new Biodirect product that that we are working on, still a long way off, but we are working on, would allow us to mix this product with Roundup, spray it on the on the palmer pigweed it stops that overproduction of that enzyme and it allows roundup to work again so so basically reversing the resistance
0: very good very good and again this stuff was was in the pipeline so it's still a ways out right
3: that's right this is in in our our uh, phase one of of our pipeline so it's uh, we've got a long way to go a lot of of scientific breakthroughs to bring it to market but it's some really exciting technology
0: yeah uh, clearly it is i mean the guys like I say, that just gauging off the audience reaction behind me this morning. Uh, people are very interested in that. You mentioned bringing it to market just now, and, I, and you explained this on the podium. I'd like for you to do it for me again here. One of the reasons Monsanto is really looking at biologicals as a platform to provide some ag
3: solutions is because there's, there's just less red tape than what you talk about when you're talking about biotech, right? That's correct. And, you know, again, we look at this from two areas, the Biodirect, which is a technology that that's out there and we don't know what that regulatory process will look like in the sure. future the other is microbials and which is a little more defined but still some work to be done there but we believe especially in that area there will be certain types of microbial products that could have an accelerated approval process compared to something like a biotech trait.
0: And another of the solutions you got, that you mentioned up there uh, was a ligus work that you guys are doing. Can you
3: tell me a little bit more about that? Absolutely. Yeah. So another exciting project that we got in the pipeline, we have a biotech trait for uh, control of ligus and cotton. So this was the first biotech trait that will control piercing and sucking insects. Um, it, uh, in addition, though, to the control that we're going to get on ligus, we've also recently discovered that we're getting uh, control of thrips, which is something that that many of our our farmers are very excited about.
0: Yeah I I mean we would know that's that's certainly the things that I hear out in the market. So you guys have a lot of exciting things going on not just you know uh, right now Extend is especially in our publication gets a lot of headlines but that's not all that that Monsanto has going on when it comes to
3: on-farm cotton breakthroughs in the pipeline. Absolutely we've got uh, a a very robust pipeline of products. Total we've got over 75 products across all of our technologies and all of our crops. Um, the other things that we touched on today that would that will benefit cotton farmers would be things like our new nematicide seed treatment. We talked about Bolgard 3 as well. So a couple other products there.
0: Very good. Well, John, I appreciate you joining me today, and uh, hope to see you
3: around some more this weekend. Great. Thank you very much for your time.
0: Well, all right, that will just about do it for this installment of the Cotton Companion podcast. We thank you sincerely for joining us, as always. Uh, if you like what you're hearing, by all means, please tell your farmer friends about us uh, and about this podcast. They can find us by going to cottongrower.com and searching for the Cotton Companion in the search bar or by subscribing to our channel on, on iTunes. Uh, another great way to be sure you receive each installment of the Cotton Companion is is to sign up for our weekly e-newsletter. That's something that hits your mailboxes each Tuesday morning. Jim works very hard to uh, put together a great product, and an e-newsletter. It's got all the news that's fit to print in the, in the U.S. cotton industry, and uh, it's the best way to stay up to date on what's going on in the agricultural world around you. Now, you can do that. You can sign up for the e-newsletter by going to, the, to www.cottongrower.com. Scroll to the bottom of the page, and there you'll find a link to subscribe to our e-newsletter. It's pretty simple. If you are listening to us on iTunes, please go ahead and subscribe to our channel. Leave us a rating and let us know what you think of our pod. Also, uh, be sure to follow us on social media. Jim mentioned this earlier, but we are cotton grow- at cotton Grower Mag on Twitter. And on Facebook, you can find us by simply searching for Cotton Grower Magazine. You'll find our latest issue, which is the December issue, mm-hmm. which should have just recently hit your mailboxes over the course of the past week. If I'm,
1: if I've got that correct.
0: I'm looking for Jim. He's nodding. Yeah.
1: Should should have been there this week. Yeah,
0: yeah. So uh, so so keep an eye out for that one in your mailboxes if it hasn't already. That's the December issue. This podcast is produced by Mark Antonelli. He works at the Mothership, Meister Media Worldwide in lovely Willoughby, Ohio. My name is Beck Barnes, and I'll be back with you in two weeks for the next episode of the Cotton Companion. For now, on behalf of my own Cotton Companion, Jim Stedman, we wish you a very Merry Christmas. We wish you a happy holidays. We want you to look for us at Beltwide. We will be down there in November if you see, or rather, November, we will be down there from January 5th through January 7th. Uh, look for us down there. if you see us come say hello and we truly wish you a uh, you and your farm a happy and profitable 2016.